Now, we're going to move on to talking about some, some sections of Ecclesiastes that may be thought of as dark, maybe even depressing. But remember that this is hopeful. Everything that happens here is reminding us of what's real, and that's where we anchor our hope. I don't know about you, but during the worship this morning, there were two different times where I started crying. Um, not going to cry now, yet. We'll wait. We'll see how the sermon goes. Um, just by being reminded of what's real and what isn't. We spend our whole lives being surrounded by things that we think we can trust, things that we think we want to pursue, and being reminded of what's not going to last and what will, where we actually can put our hope, that brings me to tears because it's so different from what the world tells us, but it's so trustworthy. That's the hope that I'm hoping will be transferred in today's conversation. Of course, the real reason why I asked to preach during this sermon uh, was because of art history. You knew that was coming, right? Uh, like, oh, you're doing Ecclesiastes, hey, there's a section coming up that has some particularly relevant art history. And he said, oh, oh so you wanna do that? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, so we're also gonna look at some pictures today of paintings, um, because why not? All right, so let's start with prayer because I know I need it and you probably need it too for me. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you that we are here. Thank you for this congregation. Lord, guide us. Bring us to surrender. Remind us of what's real, what we can trust in. Help us to keep clear in our heads what we're actually pursuing and what would be a, a fruitless or what would be wasteful endeavor. Please give me your words to speak. Let, let the things that I say turn into something of your kingdom that will last forever, and I, I and everything I say is going to be gone and forgotten, that you will remain. I'd watch over this conversation. You guide it. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so um, there are three phrases or words that I'm going to use as kind of anchors as we go through this. And I'll explain them all because none of them are in English. So, memento mori, memento vivere, avra. Like, oh, that was some gibberish. Okay, we'll get to all of those, but as I go through here, let's see if we can anchor around these three things. Memento mori, remember, you're going to die. Memento vivere, Remember, to live. Avara. It's now, now we're not in Latin, now we're in Hebrew. It's an interesting word that means work, service, and worship. So that's going to be part of this too. All right. Let's begin the scripture. We are reading in Ecclesiastes 3. If you have a Bible, which you certainly should, you should turn with me to um, Ecclesiastes 3. We're going to start in verse 16. And I'm going to read for a while. We'll see when I get tired. Um, yeah, okay, through the, I think we're going to go to the end of four. Yes, that's right. This is all of the scripture, and then we're going to kind of break it down and go through it some. From dust to dust. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. 
and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Chapter 4, Evil Under the Sun. Again, I saw all the oppression that are done under the sun, under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity and striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handsful of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than, a youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with all of whom he had led. Or, sorry, along with uh, that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no one, no end to all of the people and all of whom he led. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and a striving after wind. Okay, so I think that's all pretty clear. All right, see where that went? Okay, now, it's like, this is basically like reading someone's diary, right? Like, th this is not, um, this is not put together in a clear thesis statement with all of its sources cited. You know, th this is someone figuring things out. They're working through these questions. This is someone like, kind of going through the turmoil of like, what is this world? And I think that you can all relate to that. That's why I see genuine wisdom here. It's not like, hey, you want success? Here's A, B, and C. It's like, no, I feel you, Solomon. I, I get this. You look around, you, there is wickedness everywhere, right? There's injustice in places where you would expect it not to be. You look around at all of the things that you want to see in this world, and you, and you long for for justice, for fairness, for, for something to seem genuine and, and true. But it's always turning to dust. Right? 
do I hear it? Does anyone see this? Right? Maybe everyone else's life is actually just like, no, we're good. Like, I think you're lying. Okay. <clears throat> we want justice. Everybody wants justice, right? I mean, and we, I don't know, in the past few years, we've heard more about justice, right? It's, it's always been a thing. People have always wanted it. There's always been injustice. I mean, right, this is not yesterday that he's talking about. We all want justice. You can think of examples. Where can you think of, like, corruption? Right? You probably think, oh, you know, church or government or schools or businesses or maybe you're moving to, like, individuals and celebrities and people of influence. You're calling all this out. You're seeing, you're seeing it for what it is. In that list, when you're going through, like, all of the places that you see wickedness and you see injustice, did you list yourself? Yeah, good. <laughs> That's the truth, right? Because our sinful nature says, it, you know, it makes you feel a little bit good when you can recognize injustice and wickedness somewhere else. Right? Like, I know that I'm right that they're wrong. Like, that, yeah, I'm right that they're wrong. No, we are wicked. We are unjust. Have you ever thought, yeah, maybe, that, maybe I didn't deserve that, but yeah, I'm glad I got it. Right? Of course, that's, that's our human nature. That's our sinful way. Wickedness is everywhere. We all want justice. So what's the answer to this? Do we bring justice? We're to act in just ways. Are we to bring judgment? No, this is God's. God will judge everything and everyone. If we jump just a little bit ahead in Ecclesiastes to Ecclesiastes 12, right near the end, almost last verse, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. How about even farther, Revelations 21. I didn't write down all my notes, so you're going to watch me. Do, 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 look up here. Revelations 21, 3 through 6. Now's the time for pages to stick together. Almost at the end of the Bible again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. I mean, just take a moment for that, right? Death shall be no more. This is gonna, you're gonna need to remember this when we go to the next section. Um, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done! Exclamation point. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. It is done. There will come an end. And the judge will bring everything right. Wipe away every tear. Death will end. Justice will be served. The world that we want to see is the world that God makes. And it's not here yet. Not fully. But it will be. That's our hope, right? We look around and we see how dark things get, 
how much things fail, and we're reminded, no, it will be done. Now, this brings us to another quick question. Which side will you be on? Right? I know that you've all heard a lot of great sermons here, right? And you, you probably know how you're, how you're actually looking further off in the future. But there's a really common belief, and one that will creep up often when we're talking about this, this judgment. Have you done enough good things for God to say, yeah, you can get in? Hmm? Is that, did, are you good enough? Did you do it? Oh, of course not. Let's go to Luke 17.10. Almost there. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. That's the position I want to be in. I'll do what I'm told. I'll do my best to bring glory to God and to serve his kingdom. But I'm only doing what I'm told. I, I, I don't deserve anything. Right? There's, there's this common thought. It, I mean, I know that you know people who share this thought, right? that we can earn, earn ourselves. We'll be, we'll be the ones that are, are right enough Titus 3.5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We don't earn our salvation. It's given to us. Right? All right, moving on from wickedness and justice, one quiet, quiet note on that, like, keeps coming to mind. You know, the, Jesus talks a lot about the Pharisees. You all think the Pharisees are the bad guys, right? And, oh, those Pharisees, don't be like the Pharisees. What do the Pharisees do? They did their best to be good, virtuous, moral, right? To point out injustice and wrongness and, and hold them to a higher standard. Yeah, you do that too, don't you? Okay? So when you say, don't be like the Pharisees, that, that's another thing to keep in mind. Remember, you are actually fallen, you are incapable of good on your own. Not, not you personally, you collectively. Yeah, see, just like a little bit of difference. Okay, step back. Death comes to everyone. Halloween is coming. This is a time when people think about death, but in a way that makes it kind of safe and fun. Like we don't have to be scared of it. Right? Oh, that's all right. But I really want us, just for a moment, I know, I know that I'm, I'm younger than many of you, um, so th th I just, this hits differently for everyone. But just a reminder, this is a fact. We are all going to die. It's not an abstract thought, like, yeah, hypothetically, I can imagine that someday. No, really, literally, you are going to die, all of you. I just think about it for a minute. Just think about it. You don't have to think about how you're going to die. And that's a weird imagination you don't get into. But just that, that you are going to be dead. All right? That's where we get like, oh, well, maybe I'm going to stay healthy in this place. No, it doesn't matter how healthy you are. You are going to die. 
back to Ecclesiastes 3, where we're going, let's do uh, 19 through 21. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth. All right, so this sounds pretty, pretty depressing, right? Um, let's just cover a, a, a couple things here. Um, oh, actually, there's another mention just at four. Let's look at verses two and three. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Wow, Solomon, lay it on heavy, right? Like, all right. So there, there is this one point in here where it seems like maybe he's saying um, that we don't have a soul, right? Like, the, the same as animals, who knows if one goes up and one goes down. No one knows what's coming, right? Um, but just a little bit later, see if I can actually remember where it is. I think it's also in Ecclesiastes 12. Um, that it says we are made by God and we return to God. Yeah. I don't remember where it is. Anyone remember? Somewhere in 12, I think. Oh, well. Seven of, of chapter 12? See? Some people have their Bibles and they're paying attention. All right, good. And the dust returns to the, dust, or to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Thank you, random voice from the crowd. That was nice. Um, there's a, so just, just remember, in Ecclesiastes, he often says, under the sun, like talking about this on earth. Like This is what we see. I remember just a quick art history lesson, well, art now lesson, you only see light. Under the sun, that means now, where you are now. Later, you'll see probably differently, maybe with more than just your eyes and light, but that's it. Here, we don't see what happens. I, I see dead people, I see dead animals. They're all dead, right? That's, that's what he's saying, like this is going to end. All right, and now, we're going to move on to some art. Now that we've got it in our head that we are all going to die, everyone is going to die, let's talk about some history of uh, dying. Um, so in art history, there, there is a, a period, a genre, if you will, in the, the Renaissance. I'm not going to get into specifics because you don't care. Uh, one genre was called memento mori remember you will die. And the other one is very related, like an overlapping Venn diagram called Vanitas. And th that really does come from Ecclesiastes. They're naming this genre of art after this idea, like all is vanity, and remember you're going to die. Now, of course, there's some irony, and we can have conversations about this later, that they're, they're talking about the, the fleeting wealth and life, but it's also they're creating things that are commodities that are owned by the rich and sell for lots of money. Different conversation. You and I, you know, we hash that out later. Uh, but hopefully, are there some pictures coming of, ah, there we go. That's, that's a happy image. Um, 
So I'm going to go through some of these, and I'm going to say names that don't mean anything to you. They're just like abstract phonemes, but just to show that these were done by people. Uh, this is Philippe de Champagne. This is one of the classics. This is the idea. And so we have some symbols here. That middle one, I think you might get that one. All right? You're going to die. On the right, an hourglass. Time passes. On the left, a flower. Have you ever watched flowers in your house? They look beautiful, right? And then next week, differently beautiful. Right? They are going to wilt and die. So this, all of this is fleeting. This is it. That's the whole, this is like a summary of it. Next, uh, Peter Klaas. There's um, timepieces, candles. Like th these things are going to pass. Adrian van Utrecht. Next. More flowers. So you should start showing some, um, some opulent bits of wealth. It's a reminder, like, all of this is going away. None of this will last. One of my favorites, Norbertus Giesbrechts. Right. Uh, yeah, so we've got some, some dried grass, a skull, a tipped over hourglass, a musical instrument, just like the sound of my voice. These are all going away. You'll never get these words again. They're that. Same, the, the violent music ah, just goes away. And, and here he's, he's showing the, um, the painting, like looks like it's falling off. It's not really, it's painted to fall off. Like even this painting is going to die. Everything's going away. Next, uh, oh yeah, Marie van Oosterwijk. Prettier, right? Isn't that lovely? You don't even immediately see the skull, but it's there. Um, and then the flowers, and they're going to die also. Who's next? Oh, David Bailey. There you go. Now this is moving more into, a little bit more to the vanitas area. We're just getting more beautiful things arranged, but the reminder is all of this is going away. You've got the whole world in the globe. It's, it's all going away. Jean-Simon Chardin. There, it's a self-portrait. But he's got a skull on his desk. Um, you know, see hourglass again. Now, the, here's, here's something from the Vanitas. You see those little, little soap bubbles? What a whimsical life he lives, right? Like, um, soap bubbles are another symbol. Like, oh, look, it's here. It's perfect. It's gone. Right? Um, Lawrence Crane. There. Let's just blow some soap bubbles. Remind me that I'm going to die. <laughs> Peter Kleis. There's the Vanitas. Who here has ever hosted a dinner party? Right? It's fun stuff, right? And then after everyone leaves, you look around. Like, well, that's a scene. Right? <laughs> this, is, this is what they are. Like, this is a reminder. Like, everything's going to end. Right? All of this. All of this, even if you just leave it there, come back next week, you're not going to want to eat it anymore. Right? That's it, just going away. Uh, and then I think we end up with Willem Klaas Haida. There, see, he's showing off his wealth. Let's put a, put a peacock on a cake. But, but all, of this, all of this is falling away. Right? It's like, what the heck? Um, but yeah, okay, so reminders. There we go. This is going away. These are reminders. They're reminding themselves then, are reminding you now. You don't have to just look at, at art history to recognize this. Look anywhere around you. I mean, like, what is the, why is the reason that we, that we uh, celebrate Halloween in, in the fall? Right? Like, oh, right, everything's dying. Right? Yeah, all of the leaves are falling. 
like, oh, this is the time. We feel the, the warmth of a summer moving out of our lives. Like, that's it. Like, you always have reminders. This is all passing away. There are many views of death in the world. The one that I thought of the most as preparing for this was, um, well, I thought of Paul at, at Arapaji or Mars Hill, talking with the philosophers there. And a few weeks back, Ernie had made a mention of uh, stoic. I can't even remember what the sentence was. I just remember hearing him say stoic. So maybe somebody who took better notes, you can put that into context. But he put stoic. And I, oh, right, the stoics were one of the groups of philosophers that Paul was addressing, along with the Epicureans. So now let's talk about the stoics and Epicureans and their view of death. Stoics have probably a, a pretty bad name. Like, you, when you think of someone being stoic, you think of them just like being rigid and unfeeling, you know? They're just always serious. Um, but, but they had some things that were in pretty direct conversation with Paul. I mean, that's why he was having conversation with them. He was talking to them, quoting their philosophers and their poets back to them and saying, I hear this, I see this, let me fill in the gaps. Basically, so let's look at just a few quotes from the Stoics and the Epicureans. First, Marcus Aurelius. If you ever read his book, just don't. It's depressing. The guy had no hope. Um, Do not act as if you were going to live 10,000 years. Death hangs over you. While you live, while it is in your power, be good. Think of yourself as dead. See how those two go together? That, that's, this is laying out the Stoic view. Like You're not going to live you're living now, and later you won't. So now, do these things. Seneca, one of my favorites of the Stoics, let us prepare our minds as if we'd come to the very end of life. Let us postpone nothing. Let us balance life's books each day. The one who puts the finishing touches on their life each day is never short of time. Like, do it now, not later. The Epicureans, Epicurus, to, you know, he was a big deal in the Epicureans. Um, death does not concern us because as long as we exist, death is not here. And once it does come, we no longer exist. It's a nice view. Like, well, I'll never be dead because when death is here, I'm not here. Like, I see what you did there, Epicurus. And then you've heard this one before, carpe diem. That's from the poet Horace, a uh, Roman poet. He, he talks a lot to the Stoics ever explicitly says he's stoic, maybe Epicurean, but probably just, uh, yeah, I like all this, that kind of guy. All right, so that's the idea, but you, maybe you picked up on something. None of them see an afterlife. I know this is it. This is all that you have. I, when, when I'm done and death is here, I'm not. I'm not here. There is no more. And, and that's why they're saying there's a, an urgency to live your life now. But how do we judge that? How do we judge the life you're living now? If, if we follow the Epicureans and say, well, it's really all about seeking pleasure and avoiding pain, and that doesn't sound nearly as hedonistic as, as, it, as we make it sound now. But, um, and there were the Stokes, like, well, only control what you can. Everything else, just don't worry about it. But if you, if you find something good in your life that's at the expense of others, does that, does that matter to the Stoics and the Epicureans? It might, but on what grounds? 
Right? What moral ground is there to say, like, well, I'm going to seek the best for me now, but not if it hurts someone else. Why? Why? There's no reason. So this turns into a default view of the world. Remember this, right? If we pursue our own happiness with only regard to our own happiness, we'll be happy. Everyone else won't, and God won't. Right? Serving ourselves is serving a false god. We die like beasts. That's their view. It's all the same. Ecclesiastes. Oh, that's the one. I already jumped ahead to Ecclesiastes 12, 7. I didn't. There we go. Yes. I was like reminding of that. All right. So now Paul is talking with these, these, uh, these men. I'm going to read that section in Acts just so we can get a little bit of his response to what they're talking about or his interaction with what they're talking about. And so let's go to Acts 17. And we'll get a little bit of an introduction and then a longer section. All right. starts in 16, so Paul in Athens. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. All right, so there you go. See him? They're there. All right, let's jump down to 22. Um, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, which is Mars Hill or Hill of Ares, you, cho you choose, Greek or Roman, doesn't matter. All right, history, right? Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an, idol, or an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Just a little side note for a second. You see, like, God is providential. The breath in our lungs is given by him. When we live and when we die, it's his. He's in control of this. The Stokes and many of the people around there had this, this idea basically of pantheism, like there's, there's some force within everything. The Stokes refer to it as fate. Like you can't control it. It's going to come when it comes. And so he's, he's referencing like, yeah, it's everywhere. It's not stuck in these buildings. It's not stuck in these idols. It's everywhere. It's just not what you think. Um, let's see having determined a lot of periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That's his hopeful statement to them. Like, keep trying, guys. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. He's quoting their philosophers, their poets to him, to them. Let's see. I know I made a note about who that was. I'm trying to remember, but it's not going to come. 
Yeah. It's gone. My, my brain only sometimes works. So anyway, we'll just put it this way. In him we live and move and have our being. And then the second one, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. One thing to note about both these poems, they're talking about Zeus. All right, so I was reading the whole poem and now it's all gone because life is vapor. Um, but, <laughs> but he's saying like, we are his offspring. He's referring to, like, we are all of Zeus, and in him we live, move and have our, our being. Like, oh, he's everywhere. He's like, yeah, I hear those words. Let me redirect you. Being, then, God's offspring, he's, like, taking their words and starting over, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It's like, okay, Zeus, yeah, I hear you. I, I get the idea. You're, you're feeling your way towards something real. Let me put this. This isn't just some abstract, like, yeah, maybe we'll figure it out someday. Zeus has got it under control. No. This God, he ignored your ignorance for a while. He will continue allowing your ignorance for a while, but there will come a day when it will end, and he will judge everyone by the man that he has appointed. Spoiler alert, that's Jesus. And he's proven that this is real by raising him from the dead. So you're here talking about, well, live now, death is coming, okay, Who's in charge of death? The one who comes, dies, beats death, and comes and says, I will judge for you. I will judge all of you with my death. I own death. In the end, remember Revelations, death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. That's called the second death. I will end death. Every tear will be wiped away. It is finished. That's what he's saying, right? This isn't just, oh, we'll figure it out as we go. It's like, it's coming. Do you hear it? Your own poets see this. They just don't see the whole truth. All right, and so now I know that we don't have a lot of Stoic and Epicurean followers here, but I, I go over these things, these specific things, because they point to general truths, right? Like, can you think of people around you, people that you've interacted with, maybe, maybe you at times, maybe your family, that have views sort of like this? Okay, live for today, right? Yeah, do your best. Do your best. You can't, you're not in control of tomorrow. Like all of these different ways of, of saying things that are not untrue, but aren't the full story. Well, that's, that's what I appreciate about Paul getting in there. Like, yeah, I hear you. But there's more to it. So we've got memento mori, memento vivere. Remember you're going to die. Remember that you should live. These are already, in my mind, very hopeful things. I mean, just in the worship, going off script now, so we'll see where this goes. Um, every stronghold will crumble. I hear the chains hit the ground. Awaken your people. I mean, that's not just talking about, like, hey, make me feel more like I'm saved. No, that's talking about having the illusions that, that surround us, that trap us, fall apart, right? That's what chains you hit the ground. Oh, you know, I'm feeling 
emotionally bound by something. But all of it, those chains are this world. Everything that you hope for, everything you strive for, everything you think matters here, they're holding you in an illusion, right? When those chains hit the ground, then the people are awakened. Then you see what's real. That's, see, I'm not going to cry, but that, that's hope, right? Everything that we put hope for, or put it, our hope into here, it's not going to last. What lasts? The kingdom. That's it. Remember a few weeks back when I was uh, talking about Daniel's vision? And you had the, the statue and all the different kingdoms, and then, and then the rock came from heaven and smashed it all and lasted forever. That's what lasts. All of those kingdoms are gone. I mean, who, who can tell me about Alexander the Great? And I was like, that was a rhetorical question. Don't actually start now. But, right, but that, the rock is still here, and it will always be here. And this brings me to our next point, which hopefully I remember where I'm going. Not that page. Not that page. Oh, here it is. Avodah. That word, that Hebrew word means work and worship. Let's go to, back to Ecclesiastes, because that's we keep picking apart here. Good thing I have this bookmark in here. All right. Um, 3.22. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Hey, all right, we're going to rejoice in our work. Well, let's just uh, jump over to 4.4. 4. Then I saw that all toil and skill and work come from man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Okay, so not, not straight joy. Um, <laughs> then, then comes, oh, right after that, right? But the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Okay, so not working, not, that's not working. That's not going to be good. And then, Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Okay, so what am I supposed to do? <sighs> Are we working or not? Like, like, really, he's like, make up your mind. And that's like, I told you, there's not a strong, like, here's the next point to success. All right. Um, how about... A little bit later, let's see. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity in an unhappy business. All right, so let's talk about work. You can go back and forth on this, right? Oh, well, let's find a balance. Right? Take joy in this part of your work, but don't put all of your hope in it, right? You, all of that, yeah, keep going, that's fine. Um, but that's why I just came back to this word, avada. Now, it, when I say it, it means work and worship. I'm not joking. Throughout the Bible, where it's translated to work or worship or service, the original word is often avada. Don't you think it's interesting that there's one word that they use for work and worship. Like that, I remember hearing that years ago. I was like, well, that's weird. And it just stuck with me. I just keep thinking over this again and again. So let's talk about work. What is work? Go to Genesis. 
right, back to the beginning. We were already in Revelations. Now we'll go to Genesis. Genesis 2.15. Oh, and by the way, I only sort of wrote out notes here, so we'll see how long this takes, but I'm sure we'll get there sometime. All right, 2.15. We're, we're nearly halfway done, so... <laughs> The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. All right, this is before the fall, right? This was God's design. Before anything went wrong, God gave us work. So, is it a gift? Yeah, I think so. Let's go to Psalm 90, 17. For any of you that ever competed in, in, you know, find the verse faster, Darren, whatever, do that when they're a kid, right? Yeah? All right. Oh, yeah, you totally beat me. Yeah. Um, in fact, you would, yeah, if you get there first and just start reading out loud, that'd be great. I'd be like, yes, that, listen. All right. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's a prayer, right? The Psalms are the prayers. Establish our work. God, watch over our work. Now let's just jump a little bit farther. Proverbs 16.3. Too far. Three. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Remember that one. It, I think you probably remember that one. Everything you do, do it as though you are serving the Lord rather than man. Like This is the idea, right? So work is a gift. But it's also toil. Right? It's also, it could become too much. We get worn out when we don't put it in the right perspective. How is it that we're supposed to be thinking about work? That wasn't a rhetorical question. How is it that we're supposed to think about work? As worship, right. This is our service to the Lord. Remember when I was saying our kingdom lasts forever? The things that we do in work that are service to the Lord are working towards that kingdom. Does it mean we're building physical things that are going to last forever? No. No. But our work is interacting with our world and the people around us. And we build relationships and we build things that will be part of that kingdom and that will last forever. This is going to feed into a later point. Um, near the end of, of chapter 4, it's this little story about a, a young person, a foolish king, and the wisdom brings him power and he's looking over his people but then it gets to this there was no end of all the people all of whom he led yet those who came later will not rejoice in him surely this is also vanity and a striving after wind he was a good king apparently living in wisdom and even that's gone and no one rejoices in him because no one remembers him most of what you do, it, that was generous, almost all of what you do will be forgotten entirely. Just a reminder, keep you humble, right? Everything that I'm doing right now, this sermon will disappear from your minds almost entirely by the time you're done with lunch. Right? None of this is going to last. 
but things that come from this, maybe, maybe this, hopefully this, but also from this, like all of the work that you do, will last. Now, just before that, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If two lie together, they keep warm. Right? Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Look at the way that you're living now. Memento vivere, you are with people and you're building relationships and the things that you do in those relationships build the kingdom. And those things last forever. You don't, they do. So when you're working in your worshipful stance where you recognize that the work that you do, the service that you do to the world around you is for the Lord and seeking towards his kingdom, you're building relationships, you're, you're changing things around you in a way that they will last forever. And those people will experience every tear wiped away. Right? Everything you do here for here is gone. Everything you do here for then is the other avodah, the worship. And so think about it. Your work, your toil, your effort, your service throughout your life, it's worship working towards a kingdom that will never end. When work is redeemed, when we're working like it was designed, when we're working with the things that God has made, the beauty that he surrounded us with, and it lasts forever, and we get to benefit, we get to experience that life and growth, now we get hints of it. So even in the avada here, we see these hints, these undertones of the avada then. You see it? That's hopeful, right? And so, so when we go through, like, oh, man, what was today's sermon about? I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, but what's going to live? So much more. If it came down to, I will live forever and pursue the things I love, or the kingdom of God will be forever and everything will be made right again and justice will reign, I'm out. No, that wins. I'm not, I, don't want, I don't want to have my way. I want that way. My way is ashes. My way is vapor. It's dust. It's garbage. That's the kingdom that I want. I'm hopeful for that. And we get hints of it now. We're part of it now. Right? That's the chains. You, feel, you, you can feel the urging towards this kingdom. And, and someday we're going to have those chains fall away. Our people will be awakened. The kingdom will be alive. That's our hope, right? Okay. That was me getting amped. Did you see it? Okay. Okay, so you see, two is better than one. It all works together. Isaiah 48. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Right? Memento mori. But the word of our God endures forever. All right, so... I know that all this, when you're reading through Ecclesiastes, it can get kind of dark if you really get into it. It's like, wow, that's, that's a lot, lot to think about. But notice Solomon was probably doing the same thing I asked you to do. It's like, just think about this. I mean, in these weeks prior, we've seen him explore all sorts of life, the good life, the high life, you know, and realize that, oh, this is what it comes to. It's like, you know, now that I've seen it all, what's the point? None of this is going to come to anything, but... We get this. We get this final comfort of knowing what's real. All right. 
I, now, now this is again off notes, we'll see where this goes. You know, I, I teach a lot of people how to draw, right? And, and drawing is about seeing. So you don't, I don't care if you have any creativity, you're, just, you're acting like a camera, you're seeing what's real. Your brain is always making up information to make the world around you make sense. Thank you, brain, I'm not generally lost. But this is a way to see what's real. And I tell the students, if you can actually see what's real and recreate it, other people will see what is real. If you start filling in illusions, you're gonna lose people, right? That's it, see what's real. This is my encouragement here. I can read through all of this and then look around me and go, yeah, that's not real. I see things that are very full of impact, really occupying, very enticing or scary. And no, but what's real? The kingdom. That's the anchor. That's what I hold on to. Why is it that I'm breathing? Because God put his breath in my lungs and he'll keep it there for as long as he wants. And when it's done, I'm done. And then the kingdom is forever. So let's end with one final comfort. Since we're wrapping up the New City Catechism, let's start um, the Heidelberg Catechism. Question number one. What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. All right. So when it came time to preach on dust to dust and show you lots of pictures of skulls, the question um, from my loving and supportive wife was, will it be hopeful? And I said, how can it not be? That is our hope. If, if we didn't die, I wouldn't have any hope. Like, this is all there is, really, this? No, the hope is that it's going to end. The hope is that I will fade away. And the hope is that the kingdom won't. All right. There, end on a high note. <laughs> um, whoa, no, you don't clap for that. No, we're supposed to, yeah, clap for him. Like, all right, so thank God for this reality. Right? Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your providence. Thank you that there is breath in our lungs and that we are here to share in this. Lord, I pray that you would watch over us. Keep, keep our minds on the reality of what it is to work in service of you. That, that the interactions we have with our world and our, our people are building things that will last forever. Lord, we long for your kingdom. Lord, the, the Revelation ends with, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That is my prayer. I thank you for all the joy we have here, all the beauty we can, we can appreciate. But Lord, I pray you come. I want your kingdom forever. Watch over us today. Help our relationships to continue uplifting each other and bringing you praise. And ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.